morning, Grace Church, Medina East Campus. It's so good to be here with you this morning. Happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room, as Steve mentioned, and uh, hope that you guys are having a great Sunday morning so far. So glad to be here with you. My name is Clark. If I've never met you, I'd love to meet you in our cafe after uh, the services here this morning and just shoot the breeze, get to know you a little bit. But uh, we have been in a series called Fearless, um, Stories of Faith from the book of Joshua. And today we're actually concluding our series together. It's part three of a three-part series. And so if you're just uh, here for the first uh, day, if you're uh, new to Grace Church, you're here for the first time, thanks for being here. Glad you're here. You can actually uh, get caught up online if you go to our website at medinaeast.graceohio.org, and you can uh, access all the sermons that way. Or you could also subscribe to our podcast. Just search uh, Grace Ohio, and you can get the Medina East campus that way. So however you get there, you can uh, get caught up that way. But uh, basically what we've been saying uh, throughout this series, the premise of this whole entire series, we said in week number one was this, that uh, fear is one of those things that is, uh, it's virtually inescapable in our lives. And I've seen this in my life to be true, and my guess is you can identify with that as well. And, and whether it's uh, relationally or financially or, or really just we're stressed, anxiety, uh, fear paralyzes us, it grips us, it captures us. And so we said this begs a really, really good question, doesn't it? And the question is this, how do we overcome the fear that is so pervasive in our day-to-day lives? And so we said, the answer is obvious. The answer is courage. But we didn't just stop there. We didn't just stop there, and we said that courage is not an autonomous, self-generated virtue. It's a derivative virtue, and it derives from something else. It's a product of our faith. Whether we place our faith in God or something else, wherever we place our faith, it is there. That will determine our capacity to be courageous. And she said that's how we're going to kind of define courage uh, throughout the series together. And then last week, we talked about courage. Okay, if we have courage, how do we have courage when we fail? So we talked about courage in our failures. And we ended our time together last week by saying this, that Jesus chooses and uses failures. We said we're not celebrating the fact that we fail. We're not going to start a campaign to all go out and start failing so we can celebrate that. We said that, that it's the fact that Jesus chooses and uses failures that we can celebrate the fact that God uses our failures to bring glory to himself and to advance the kingdom of God. And so if you're just now jumping in with us, I would encourage you to get caught up online or through our podcast. But today, what we want to do is we want to continue this conversation and conclude part three of our series, Fearless, by talking about courage once again. But today we want to talk about courage specifically as it relates to courage in commitment. So today's message title is Courage in Commitment. So I'm excited for what God is going to teach us today in his word. And so if you are here today and you are a Christian, my hope is that for you today that this message would be refreshing to you. And if you are here today and you're investigating Jesus, you're not really sure what you think about the Bible or God or any of that kind of stuff, so glad you're here. Thanks for being here. I hope today is informative for you and you can, uh, it'll answer some of your questions that you might have. So regardless of where you're at, fear is something that's virtually inescapable. We can all identify with that. And so we're going to learn a little bit of what it looks like to have courage in commitment. And so we are not left unaccompanied in this feeling. Uh, Joshua and the Israelites, as we're going to read about in uh, the Bible this morning, we're going to come to find that, that we uh, can identify with them quite a bit. So if you've got your Bibles, go with me to Joshua chapter 24, and it's going to be found on page 163 in these black Bibles that you're sitting in. And if you don't have a Bible, we always say, uh, take one of ours, make that a gift from us to you. Happy Father's Day. If you're not a dad, then happy Fearless Day. And you can just take one of those. That's a gift from us to you. Thanks for being here. And uh, if you're more of a digital person like me, you can get on your iPhone or tablet and whatnot. 
just go to the App Store, search Grace Ohio, and you can get the Grace Church app for free. That is for free, and it's for you, and uh, you can get to our, today's passage of study that way as well. So we're going to be at Joshua uh, chapter 24, and, and uh, it's on page 163 in these black Bibles. So if you get there, why don't you just lay that in your laps, and uh, we'll get to that here in a second. I want to pray for us and ask God to lead us and guide us in our conversation here this morning, so let me do that. Well, God, I just want to say thank you for today, Lord. Uh, thank you for, for Father's Day, God. Thank you for all the dads in this room that work so hard and uh, this, the commitment they have to raise their families and to lead their family well, God. I know for some of us, this is a joyous day, and it's a really happy and exciting day to celebrate, God. For some of us in this room, this may be a day that is um, just a reminder of, of a lot of painful memories, God. And for some of us, we maybe never grew up with a father, and we experience uh, abandonment and rejection, God. So I pray that, that, Lord, today that you would reveal the fact that you, um, although regardless of our situation with, the, with, our he- with our earthly father, God, that you are a good, good heavenly father, God. And I pray that you would kind of reveal that to us uh, today in this room, God. I pray you would lead us and guide us in our conversation here this morning. I pray this all in uh, Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, today we are celebrating Father's Day, and uh, for a lot of us, it's, it's an exciting day, is it not? You get to cook out a little bit, you could kick back and enjoy uh, the game tonight with the Cavs, and so we're looking forward to that. But uh, a couple of weeks back, actually, uh, last, towards the end of last month, we celebrated uh, another holiday, and it was Memorial Day. And uh, for me, for my family, this is a really big deal for my family. I had a grandpa that served in World War II, and I had a, an uncle that was in the 82nd Airborne. And so, as you can imagine, like, we really love celebrating Memorial Day and, and just the fact that our, our country's freedom. And so, ever since I was a kid, uh, I would go to the Memorial Day Parade in the town I grew up in. And I always loved going to that uh, There was a lot of stuff I liked about it. I mean, they had the floats in the parade, right, where, you know, people would throw the candy out. And so that was was fun. But what I really, really thought was so cool and so awesome was watching the soldiers march from cemetery to cemetery to cemetery. And they had like a short ceremony. And then they would fire off the rifles in honor of the men and women who serve our country, right? And I remember as a kid, um, after they would kind of disperse and march to the next cemetery, there would be like the bullet shells on the ground. And me and my cousins, we'd run up and we'd want to go pick up the shells and kind of keep them. And I remember like in my hand, holding those shells, they'd still be kind of warm. And uh, I, I, I remember thinking to myself like, you know, this is something that happens every single year. It's, it's, not, it's not new news to me. It's not surprising. It's not new information. But what I felt was this overwhelming sense of gratitude, and this overwhelming sense of thankfulness and just praise, like someone has been sent overseas to a country to, uh, you know, this costly sacrifice, right, for, for the freedom that I have. And so I felt this overwhelming sense of gratitude. It wasn't, it wasn't new information. It wasn't news. It's something that was that would happen every year, but it, but it was so necessary. It was such a great reminder in that moment. That's what I experienced. It was a great reminder. And, there, and we can identify with this, right? I mean, if you think of it like public schools, we, we say the Pledge of Allegiance, right? And that's not new information to many of us. We're not, we're, we don't need that because it's not like we don't know how to say the Pledge of Allegiance, right? But you do it because it's an incredible reminder, and it reminds you, and, and it's a repositioning of the heart. It's a reorienting of the mind, and we think we're reminded of the fact that we are free and that we, we get to live in a society that's free. 
Um, think of it this way. Think of the, our national anthem. I mean, we sing this before all baseball games, football games, all these large events tonight, before the Cavs game. They're going to sing the national anthem. And some people, you know, we get overwhelmed and cry because it's just this overwhelming sense of this remembering, right? It's this commemorative moment where we remember that we are free and we live in a free country. And so it's one of those things that's never groundbreaking news. It's never like new information, but it's this necessary reminder that needs to happen for us. And so we can identify with that. And the reason why I tell you that is because God, today we're going to come to find in Scripture that God wants to remind the Israelites of something. He wants to remind them something that they already know. This is not groundbreaking news. It's not information for them. But they want, he wants to remind them of all of his faithfulness, all of his uh, gracious uh, stuff that he's done for them, his, his generosity. He wants to remind them of how he's delivered them out of their, the hands of their enemies. And so that's what we're going to read about today. And so if you are here today, again, my hope is that if you're a Christian, today would be refreshing for you. And if you are someone investigating Jesus, that this uh, message could be informative for you. So that's where we're going to be going. Let me just kind of give us a window uh, or a snapshot of where we're at so far in the book of Joshua. So if you're just now jumping in with us, the book of Joshua, it's a book of the Bible. And biblical archaeologists say that this this time period, okay, is like in what what they call the Late Bronze Age. So it's between 1550 and 1400 uh, B.C. Um, And they say that this is, uh, you know, there's a distance in time. There's a distance in language, and there's a distance in culture, but we can still draw like profound implications out of this. And so when we, when, when we think of the book of Joshua, we have to remember that the Bible tells us that at the beginning, God made a promise to this man named Abraham. And the promise that, 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 that the Bible tells us that God made with him was that he would, he would be the father of many nations, that he promised this land to him, they call it the promised land. And then Abraham would leave his country and go to a foreign country, the Bible says that he left. And then he, his family multiplied in great number. And so Abraham's family grew in a large number, the Bible says. And then they became this people group known as the Israelites. And the Bible tells us that this people group then was enslaved in Egypt, and then, and then one day, God chose this man, Moses, to lead them out of their Egyptian captivity. And so the Bible tells us that Moses leads them out into the wilderness, and God makes a covenant with them at this place called Mount Sinai. The Bible tells us that they go and they camp outside of this promised land called Israel. And then the Bible says that Moses passes away, and then the Bible tells us that Joshua becomes the successor of Moses. And he kind of takes the baton, so to speak, and leads Israel. And so you could kind of break up, I broke it up this way with four movements of the book of Joshua just to kind of give us clarity as to where we're at in the story here. So the first movement is the promised land. The promised land, that's where Joshua is leading them to this land that was promised by this guy named Abraham all the way back at the beginning. And so we, we talked a little bit last week of how when, he, when Joshua led them in, the first city they got to was Jericho. And so when they get to this city of the promised land, the second movement that we see in the book of Joshua is they engage the Canaanites, this people group known as the Canaanites, in battle. And, and this people group, 
They, they uh, were morally corrupt. The Bible tells us that they performed child sacrifices. The Bible tells us that they, they just, uh, in order to worship their, their gods, there was a lot of morally corrupt things involved with that. And so they engaged the Canaanites in battle. They engaged uh, because of their hostility. And so that's the second movement in the book of Joshua we see. The third movement that we see in the book of Joshua is where Joshua divides up the land. The Bible tells us that Joshua divides up the land of these 12 tribes of Israel. And if you read it on your own time, you'll notice that it's, it's, you're reading a bunch of boundary lines. Uh, what you're reading in the Bible is basically a map with no pictures. And so it can be kind of boring to read. But this would have been really, really important for the Israelites because this is the fulfillment of the ancient promises to Abraham. And so this was a really, really big deal for the Israelites. And so the fourth movement, the book of Joshua concludes with these final speeches that Joshua gives. Joshua gives these final speeches, and that's kind of what we're going to use to jumpstart our conversation here this morning together. And so, just imagine with me, the Bible tells us Joshua, after he divides up this land amongst these 12 tribes of Israel, he goes, he leads the people, all these elders, all of these leaders, all of these judges, and all of these officials of Israel, to this city. The Bible calls the city Shechem. I'll actually throw a picture up on the screen so you can see what Shechem looks like today. Shechem is located in the, uh, it's an ancient city of Palestine. And to the left, you see this is called a Mount Gerizim. And to the right, there's this mountain called Mount Ebal. And so right there, smack dab in the middle, is the city of Shechem. And so just imagine Joshua leads all of these uh, elders and leaders and judges and officials of Israel. And he gives these final speeches. And what he's about to do is he's going to remind them of all of God's faithfulness. He wants to remind them of God's generosity. He wants to remind them that God is their deliverer. And he wants to remind them that God has given them every single thing from their olive groves to their vineyards to their cities to the land. It's all the gift from the hand of God. And that's what Joshua is about to do. So imagine him looking at all these elders, judges, leaders, officials of Israel. He walks up. He's getting ready to give this speech. He's, get, he's doing the mic check. Check one, two. He's getting ready to give this awesome speech. And he says, the Lord God says... And then he, he, he gives this awesome kind of highlight reel, the Bible tells us, of all the amazing things that God has done from his faithfulness to his generosity to his delivering them out of the, delivering their enemies in their hands. And so he would have been like, guys, remember what God did? Remember God's faithfulness? Remember how God took our father Abraham uh, beyond the Euphrates River into the country of Canaan and, and took him away from those false gods. You guys remember God's faithfulness in that? You guys remember when God took us out of our Egyptian captivity? You guys remember how God delivered us from that? How awesome that was when God did that? You guys remember that? And, and, and they, he would have told them, remember how God delivered the, the people in the city of Jericho in our hands? You guys remember how God did that? It was so awesome. You guys remember how God delivered the Amorites into our hands and we defeated our enemies because the Lord our God was on our side? And, and, and imagine all these judges, all these leaders, all these officials of Israel, they look back and, and it would wouldn't have been groundbreaking information to them. This wouldn't have been news to them. And they would have known all of that. They would have been like, yeah, we remember that. But they would have felt this overwhelming sense of gratitude. They would have felt this overwhelming sense of thankfulness and praise. That God is so good. He is so faithful, so generous. And, and Joshua would have looked at them and, and said, guys, these vineyards that we have, we didn't plant these. These olive groves that we have in this new promised land that God has graciously given us, we didn't plant these. The cities that we have, we didn't build these cities. 
this land that we have, we didn't toil, we didn't work this land. God gave it all to us. It's all a gift from the hand of God. And so he's saying, remember, remember what the Lord your God has done for you. Remember his faithfulness. Remember his generosity. Remember how everything we have is, is because of God is a good heavenly father. And so that's, that's, what he, that's how he kicks off this speech. And it's, it's a great speech. And then the Bible tells us something else. Here's what he's going to say next to them. So break in with me at verse 14 at Joshua chapter 24. The Bible says that Joshua then said, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt. Serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. And notice what Joshua says next. Watch what happens. This is so epic, what Joshua says right here. He says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And watch what happens in verse 16. Notice the way they respond to Joshua. The people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. The Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We, too, will serve the Lord because he is our God. And so they're, they're on board with this. They said, we remember God's faithfulness. We remember God's generosity. We remember how he delivered us. And so we remember it's not groundbreaking information to them. Then notice what Joshua says in verse 19. Watch what Joshua says here. He says, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. He will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. The people say this to Joshua. In verse 21, watch what they say. The people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And it's kind of this back and forth thing. Now Joshua says, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. And then they say back to him, yes, we are witnesses. They replied, now then, Joshua said, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Commentators mention that they literally could have thrown their false gods away. They had gods that were made of wood and metal. And so he's saying, throw those away, destroy those false gods, and serve the one true God of Israel. The Bible says in verse 24, the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. And so what happens is basically all of the elders, all the leaders, all the judges, all the officials of Israel, they, they, they never disobeyed God, and, and they lived happily ever after. And that's how it No, that's not what happened at all. Actually, in fact, what happens is really, really sad. It's really, really tragic. Uh, the Bible tells us that after this, Joshua passes away at the age of 110 years old, which is really impressive, by the way. And then what happens is another generation grows up. Another generation rises up and says the Bible says they neither knew the Lord, they didn't know about the acts of God, they forgot about what God had done, his generosity, his faithfulness. They forgot about their identity, their identity as God's chosen people, the ones who would be a blessing to the nations. And the Bible tells us that they forgot their identity, they also lacked their commitment to God, and they didn't have the courage to, to commit to God and continue following him. And so, 
I'll give you kind of a snapshot or window into it. There's a book that happens right after the book of Joshua, and it's called the book of Judges. And uh, let me just read this to you here real quick. This is from the book of Judges, chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Let me read this to you here. It says, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at timnath Herez in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And then what, what it says here in verse, verse 11 is just so sad. It says this, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. And so Baal was this god of the Canaanites, and, and, and this god it, it involved, the worship to this god involved uh, child sacrifices and uh, prostitution. And so to worship this god was like a terrible, horrible thing. Um, and so in verse 12, it says, They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashereths. And the Ashereth is just the wife of Baal. And so it would have involved more morally corrupt things and that type of worship. And what they did is, is they embraced that social life of the Canaanite religion. It's a really sad story. And the reason why I share that, because you, you look, you read a, a passage like this, and you're like, man, well, what, what's the point of that? And I think, I think if we were to draw anything from that, it's the fact that the application is to remember. It's to remember God's faithfulness. It's to remember God's generosity. It's to remember his delivering us out of where we used to be. And, and what happened is they forgot. The Israelites forgot about his faithfulness. They forgot about his generosity. They forgot about how he was the one that delivered them. And so you go, what do you do with a message like this then? Well, I believe that there's a couple things that come to mind. And I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this a little bit. If you forget everything that I say today, uh, remember this. Is that the gospel defines you and it reminds you. The gospel defines you and reminds you. And I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this a little bit. So let me talk first about how it reminds you. I want to talk first about how it reminds you. I know that seems kind of backwards in the way I said it, but I want to address first the Christians in the room here today. And so if you are a Christian, if you claim to be a follower of of Jesus Christ, I think one of the best applications that we could walk away with is, is to be reminded I found this to be true in my life. Maybe you can identify with this too, but I've found that we oftentimes need to be reminded more than instructive. And so for some of us, the gospel is this commemorative thing, and we remember all the things that God has done for us. We remember that God's faithfulness and God's generosity, and remember how God has delivered us from where we used to be before Christ came into our life and defied our life trajectory. We remember that kind of stuff. We remember all the good things that God has done, how awesome God is. Because sometimes what happens is we have the natural inclination to get a bad case of spiritual amnesia. We just forget like how awesome God is. And you think back to that illustration about Memorial Day, right? It's not new information. It's not groundbreaking for most of us. It's not groundbreaking news, but it's this incredible reminder, this overwhelming sense of gratitude and thankfulness and praise that God is just, he's amazing. But sometimes we forget and we live under the tyranny of spiritual apathy and we just forget, we just become indifferent and cynical in our faith. And, And for some of us, we just 
we just lack the, the passion and the excitement and the emotion that we once had, right? Do we not? And sometimes we have those mountaintop experiences, and sometimes we're down in the valley, right? And, and what happens is we need to be reminded of God's faithfulness. We need to be reminded of the generosity of God. We need to be reminded of how he has delivered us, put our feet on solid ground, so to speak. And so I think the application is that the gospel uh, reminds you. And there's, there's a lot of times that uh, it's good to go to scripture to be reminded that way. Sometimes it's good to, to pray. Um, I, I thought to myself, what is something real, real practical? What can I give what can I give us that's real, real practical to walk away with in this series? And I think one of the best things that we could do to remind ourselves, I, I just recently read an article by this pastor. His name's David Mathis, and he's a pastor at a church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, but he, uh, he uh, wrote a, an article on, uh, jur- some of you are going to hate me for this, but he wrote an article on journaling <laughs> and, and how we can journal our prayers. And, and I know that for some of us, journaling is like we, we just dread the thought of it. But can I just... Uh, let me just suggest something today, because I think this could be really, really helpful. It was helpful for me, and maybe it will be helpful for you as well. So this is a great way to remind ourselves of what the, we have in the gospel. So here's five ways to flourish in journaling. Let me just kind of quickly walk us through this real quick. I think this could be really, really helpful for us this morning. So the first one, here's what David Mathis says. He says, when journaling your prayers, to keep it simple. He says, keep it simple. Don't try to go from zero to 60, you know, just, just it, even, even just write one thing down, one thing in, that's going on in your life, whether it's a good thing or bad thing, the highs or the lows, just one thing, how you're interacting with God, or, or if you're struggling, or if there's, there's some sort of addiction or habit or something really awesome, just write it down, just one thing, so just keep it simple. The second thing he says to do is this, he says, don't catch up. He says, don't catch up. When you're trying to, to write your prayer journal, don't catch up. What he means by that, what is he saying? He's saying that don't, don't feel like this is an exhaustive description of your life. Like, don't, it, like what he says not to do is it would be bad to write, I woke up, I walked in the kitchen, I opened the cupboard, I got a jar of Nutella, I spread it on my toe. Don't write something like, don't make it an exhaustive description of your life, but just write like what's really going on in your life. So keep it simple and don't catch up. Just, just write what's really, really going on in your life. And number three, he says this, take God seriously. He says, take God seriously. Get some scripture there. Maybe get some, pra- some, some craftfully, carefully written prayers. He says, take God seriously. But in the same breath, don't take yourself too seriously. And so, so just pretend like nobody's looking over your shoulder reading what you're writing. It's between you and God. It's your time with God. It's your time with the Lord. So you're writing that there. So you keep it simple. You don't catch up. Take God seriously. Then he says, number four, I think this might be the most important one. He says, bring the gospel. He says, bring the gospel. So whatever is going on in your life, whether it's hurts, hang-ups, habits, something really awesome, something not so awesome, just bring the gospel. Try to see how that can apply to where you're at in your life right now. It's a great way to remind yourself what's in the gospel. Number five, he says, stay with it. So perseverance Asking God, the strength that God provides and how he's working powerfully from within you. Continue to stick with it. Just stay with it. Persevere with it. And I believe if you do these five things, if this is something you could do this week. I mean, you could go to Target and buy like a notebook for like a dollar. I think this is something you could do this week. And if you do that, maybe it's not going to solve all your problems. But what you'll have here is, is a point of reference. 
and you could even start back as to when you came to salvation, but you'll have something to look at to remind you in those days where you're in a dry spell and, and you, you lack passion and, and excitement and emotion in your spiritual walk with Christ. And the thing is, uh, Joshua and the Israelites, that was a really unique experience in time. I mean, if anybody would come to your house and give you a speech about what God has done in your life, that would be so awkward. It would be so weird, right? But what you have is you have your own like personal venue in your journal. You open it up and you look and you see like, man, look at the faithfulness of God back in 2016. Man, that was a really tough week for me. That was a really tough week for me. But look at the faithfulness of God there. Look what he's doing. God is writing your story. Every single one of you have a story. God is writing your story. And you look and you say, look what God, look at the faithfulness of God there. Look at the generosity of God. Look how God provided there. And you think, look how God delivered me from that addiction in my life. And you, and you start to remember, you say, remember, man, remember when God delivered me from my seasonal depression? Man, remember when God helped me? And remember how faithful God was during those first five years of marriage? Remember how hard that was? Remember how God and his faithfulness stuck with me the whole time? Man, it's, it, wouldn't that just be so encouraging to read about? And, and you, go to your, you, you think to yourself, remember how God delivered me from this way of life. Remember how faithful God was. Remember when I was baptized? And you start to kind of rejog your memory. And you remember, and it's this commemorative thing, and you have this overwhelming sense of gratitude, this overwhelming sense. You cultivate a heart of thankfulness and praise for the God. And, and what you're doing is, it's, it's scientifically and psychologically proven that journaling works. But, but I think the most important thing is that you're connecting with your creator, God. And, and you're looking, and sometimes we just need reminded more than instructed of how amazing God is and what he's brought us through and what he's doing in your life and the story that he's writing for you. Every single one of you have a story, and you remember what God has done. And so it's encouraging for me, and I hope that's encouraging for you. Let me talk a little bit about, we talked about how the gospel reminds us. Let me talk for those of us that are here investigating Jesus. Maybe you're here kind of looking for answers and, and maybe you're trying stuff, but nothing's really working. So maybe you come here and you're looking for it. And if that's you, if you're investigating, thank you so much for coming here. We count it an honor and a privilege that you would come take a seat here on Sunday morning. Thank you so much for being here. But let me speak to you for a second. The gospel tells us, the Bible tells us that the gospel not only reminds us, but it defines us as well. So let me share something with you. Uh, the Bible tells us in the book of Judges how that generation grew up and they didn't know their identity in God. They didn't know they were God's chosen people. They didn't know uh, that God, all of his spectacular, miraculous things that the Lord God had done. And so for a lot of us, we struggle to find our identity. We just have an identity crisis. And let me just share with you what the Bible says about your identity when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Let me speak to those where it shows us how the gospel defines you. So the gospel defines you. In the Bible, we see that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, there's, there's a lot of things. I just want to give three today. But there's a lot of things. The first one I want to share with you is that you are accepted. That you are accepted. And the reason why I can say that is because the Bible tells us that when we place our faith in Christ, that we are a child of God. And it says that in John chapter 1. So when you place your faith in Jesus, you become a child of God. You are accepted. Bible says that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the gospel defines you this way too. Bible says that you are a disciple and a friend of Jesus. Bible says that in John chapter 15. Bible says that you are accepted when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. 
And you're not only a child of God and a disciple and a friend of Jesus, but the Bible tells us that you are redeemed. It says this in Colossians chapter 1. The Bible says that it defines you this way. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, not only are you accepted, but you are also secure. And here's why I can say that. The Bible says that we are secure because the Bible says that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8 tells us that. That's our identity in Jesus. That's the gospel. The Bible tells us that we are accepted. Not only is there no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but the Bible also says that we cannot be separated from the love of God. That's the gospel. Romans chapter 8, 31 through 39. The Bible says that not only are we secure because there's no condemnation and we can't be separated from the love of God, the Bible says we're secure because when you find your identity in Jesus, that you are a citizen of heaven. Philippians chapter 3. The Bible says the gospel defines you. You are accepted. You are secure. And the third one is this, that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are significant. And here's why I can say that. The Bible says you are significant, that you are chosen to bear fruit. The Bible says in John 15, you are chosen and appointed to bear fruit. You are significant. The Bible says that you are significant when you place your faith in Jesus Christ because you become a minister of reconciliation. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Bible says you are significant not only because you are chosen to bear fruit and a minister of reconciliation. The Bible says you are significant because you become God's workmanship. Ephesians chapter 2. So the gospel not only defines us, it reminds us. And so if you are here today and you are looking to find your identity in something, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, then you will find that you are more messed up than you think you are, but you're more loved and accepted than you could ever imagine. And you're not only accepted, but you're secure in Jesus Christ. And you're not only secure, but you are significant in Jesus Christ. And so I just want to encourage you in that way. I know that's a lot to download. That's a lot to process. And that could be a life-altering decision. It's a jarring reality to face that, that you could completely turn and go a different direction in life. But can I just tell you this, that it's, it's, the, best, it's the best commitment you'll ever make. It's, 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 and it takes courage to make that commitment. But, but when you engage in that commitment, you'll come to find that the gospel will continue to, to not only define you, but it will remind you of how good your Heavenly Father is. And so I'm excited to celebrate that today on Father's Day, that I have a good Heavenly Father. And so I want to encourage you all in that way. And I also want to ask at this point in time uh, that, the, that the band would come up. And as they're getting settled in, I just want to kind of cast some vision for us as our series comes to a close. I want you to just imagine with me for a second. Imagine if we were to grab a hold of this concept that the gospel not only defines you, but it reminds you. Imagine a young middle schooler or a high schooler that grabs a hold of this profound reality that the gospel defines you and reminds you. And imagine them grabbing hold of the heart of God and the mission of God and the courage in that commitment. What could that look like? Imagine a husband and wife in a marriage that grabs a hold of this profound reality that the gospel defines you and reminds you. And they get on board with the mission and the heart of God. And and they have courage in that commitment. What could that look like? Imagine a community of Medina, a redemptive community, a local church that grabs a hold of this profound reality The gospel defines you and reminds you. And and getting on board with that mission, the heart of God, what could that look like? Imagine the courage in that commitment. 
what we could accomplish together as a church. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Let me pray for us. Well, God, I just want to say thank you so much. Lord, thank you for all the fathers in this room that have been committed to uh, raising a family and to leading their family well, God. Uh, Lord, I think of the people who, for today, that maybe this isn't that awesome of a day for them because of the painful memories. Or maybe for some of us, it's because we feel abandoned or rejected. Well, Lord, your word tells us that you are, you are a good heavenly father, God, and your heavenly father knows every hair on your head. Lord, we're so thankful that the gospel not only defines us, but it reminds us of the goodness, your, your, your faithfulness, your generous heart, and how you deliver us, God. And you place our feet on solid ground, God. Lord, I pray that we would be a people, a, a men and women of courage, God. Lord, I pray that you would just lead us and guide us today, God. We, we thank you and I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.